Thank you, Madison, for reading our scripture this morning. I want to um, welcome you once again to Providence Road Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest or you're, this is your first time here, or maybe you've only been here a few times, uh, we're honored that you would spend a Sunday morning uh, worshiping with us. And I just, it, it, I'll echo what Jay said a moment ago, just to, to get involved to, to take the next step if this is a place that you want to call home. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, like he said, I would love to have a chance to meet you after the service. If you have time to stick around, um, I would love to do that. Normally, um, if you were to, to come to Providence Road, about 75 to 80% of the time, we're actually picking a book of the Bible and preaching verse by verse or passage by passage through it. But for the fall, really the next you know, six, seven weeks, uh, we decided to do a topical series over anxiety, over anxiety. And we kind of set that up last week, did some background work, really talked about the why behind this, why we're doing it. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go and listen to that sermon. These sermons kind of build off one another. I'm going to try to do a little recap this morning so you don't feel lost if you weren't here. Um, but this is a kind of a series that's going to build off um, um, week after week after week. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, when we think about anxiety, there's a lot going on in our minds. We're hearing a lot of voices. We're hearing um, things other people are telling us, things that are coming from within us that aren't true. We hear a lot of things, and I pray this morning as we open your word and we, we look at this familiar passage that speaks to anxiety, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that your voice through the spirit would cut through all the uh, the other noises the other voices and that we would really hear it that we would hear it and we would believe it and we would apply it to our lives and i pray that you would give us the strength to get in the fight because um, there is going to be battling involved when it comes to anxiety so help us we can't do this on our own we need your spirit and i pray that he would that, that, that he would that that uh, my, my friends here and, and the people in this room would allow um, your spirit to work in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. About four years ago, I began waking up um, almost every morning around 3 a.m. with a jolt, just like jolted awake. My mind and heart racing, there's a heaviness in my chest. And an inability to go back to sleep once I was awake at 3 or 4 in the morning. I was going through a particular stressful season in the life of the church. A lot was going on where I felt more pressure than normal. But during the day, I wasn't having these symptoms. Like this, the, 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 the stress I was feeling wasn't manifesting um, themselves in the way it was. I, I, had, I, I dealt, at this point in time, I dealt with anxiety and depression at different seasons of my life. And, but I'd never dealt with it in a situation where it was actually waking me up in the middle of the night. Um, it was never hitting me like this, and I had <clears throat> no idea what to do. I had no idea what to do um, over those first few days and even weeks because I, it was waking me up. There was, it wasn't a, a ramp up. I actually woke up, and my mind was already going 60 miles an hour, it felt like. This went on for a couple of months, and then I, I sought counsel, um, I started to take some medicine, um, trying to figure out what exactly was going on underneath the surface, what was going on inside of me. 
And once the medication kind of leveled my mind off a little bit, uh, other some, you know, melatonin, working on some things, just to get some sleep. Because you can imagine um, the, the lack of sleep was compounding the issue even more. I couldn't focus. I couldn't really do the deep work because now I was so exhausted because I was waking up at 3 a.m. almost every morning. So I needed the medication to help me level things off so I could actually do the battle. I'm off the medication now. It kind of leveled me off, but I'm still seeing uh, a counselor and how to, how to um, uh, battle my anxiety and figure this out um, and to continue the process of, of, of overcoming anxiety. So this is an ongoing battle for me. And I share this in hopes on the one side of things that I, I understand, not everyone in this room, but I understand and can empathize with what a lot of you are going through. Like, I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, and also, I want us to kind of um, get really practical today, and really, I'm trying to give you parts of my story and, and what's actually helped me. So I want us to move forward and trying to really get down to what is causing anxiety and what we can do about it. And today, I'm going to share a few things that I've learned along, along the way from, from counselors I've met with and, and in other environments. But I want to ask you, what do you do when anxiety strikes? Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do when you become worried about your health? Or maybe you're stressed out about the future of your children. What's going to happen? Where are they going to go to school? What are they going to turn out like? Are they going to follow Jesus? All these things. What do you do when you're in a relationship with someone and there's anxiety produced? How do you handle that interpersonal conflict there? What do you do when you get that pit in your stomach when the future's uncertain? Maybe there's a current event that just brings you, just almost makes you sick because you don't, you don't have control over what's going to happen in the world around you. Or what do you do when you feel the threat of not being liked? When that hits you, how do you handle that? So for most of us in this room, the majority of us, I would say, the difficult thing is not knowing whether you have anxiety or not. Last week we talked about, I think the majority of us at some level struggle with anxiety at a different level, but that's not the issue. I think the most difficult thing is knowing what to do when it hits. Like when it hits that moment, it starts, what do I do? What do I think about? What's the process? And that, those are the things I want us to cover today. Last week we said that anxiety isn't a sin, it's an invitation uh, to come to God to see what's actually underneath that anxiety. It's a warning light to say there might be an, a, an area here that you need to deal with that's under the surface. And God's inviting us into relationship with him when we feel anxious. Now left unattended, left unaddressed, I think anxiety can lead to problems and actually will lead to problems if not kept in check. What we do when we see verses in the scripture like we're going to look at today where it says, do not be anxious. Like, what do we do with that, right? I think most of us who at least have read our Bible for any length of time or maybe have spent any time in church would say, of course. Of course I shouldn't be anxious. I don't want to be anxious. But why is it so hard to actually make progress in this area, even when we kind of know what the scriptures teach on this subject? I want to uh, review the definition of anxiety. The American Psychological Association says anxiety is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. That's just one example. There's many there. We said last week that we are, um, we are composed of, as human beings, a body and a soul. 
those two things. We have the material and the immaterial. And we're dealing with something like anxiety. Both need to be addressed. We have to address the body, which includes our mind, our brain. We also have to address the soul, the things deeper down. So as we move into talking about a process today, I want us to um, remember the posture that we need to have. This is kind of how we ended our time last week, but it's the posture that David shows in Psalm 139. David says, King David here says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Like, think about that word search. Look around. Figure it out. You know, whatever God's flashlight is. Like, take it out. Look. Look inside of me. He says, try me and know my thoughts. Like, test me. Push me. Know who I am. Verse 24, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the passage we're going to look at today, this, this Philippians 4 passage, oftentimes when we're in the middle of anxiety or we're struggling with it and we go to the scriptures or maybe we ask somebody about it, we kind of get this verse kind of thrown at us, right? Ephesians uh, 4, 6, do not be anxious. And oftentimes that's it. That's all we hear. And it becomes a little bit of like a bumper sticker verse or a coffee mug verse where it's just like, hey, just, just like we're taking Tylenol for some life-threatening illness, There's nothing wrong with that scripture. We should have it memorized as we're dealing with anxiety, but there's so much more to it than that. When Paul writes this particular, um, this this, this passage in Philippians, um, I want us to, there's a context to it. I want us to go back up to um, a couple of verses um, in Philippians 4, verse 2, and read verses 2 and 3. He says this, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche, or Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes I, also, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So this is a, it's a interesting that Paul kind of drops this in in the middle of a letter. Usually he starts mentioning names either at the beginning or the end of a letter, but here he drops them in in the middle because I, I think there's something going on either between these two women in the church that Paul cares deeply for or there's something going on uh, with these two women, maybe with something else. There's, a, there's some tension. There's something where he feels the need to say what he's about to say. So I want to give us that as a background and then read verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Get the repetition there of rejoice. This is serious. Paul wants us to have joy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So he tells us to have joy twice. He also tells us, let, us, let our reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness, think of this as like the opposite of entitlement. The opposite, it's, it's kind of letting go, the ability to let go of things that aren't of utmost importance. Right? It's like one of those qualities that you really want in someone you're going to spend a lot of time around. And who, who wouldn't want these two qualities? Whether you're a follower of Jesus in this room or not, we want to be happy. We want to have joy. And I think we want, to be, we want to be a reasonable person. We want people to enjoy being around us. I think the majority of us want those two things. And I think God wants those two things for us. I think that's the goal. That's what we want. That's what we desired. And then at the end of verse 5 here, you'll see he says, the Lord is at hand. Interesting thing he drops in here. Just the, the nearness of God. The Lord is here. He's with us through the Spirit. He's close. There's relationship here. And now... He's going to move into verse 6. So that's kind of the background. Now we read verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. He's talking to the church. 
that has this particular issue going on, either between these two uh, women or these two women kind of maybe against someone else, normal, everyday, um, like probably tension and anxiety. It's why I like this verse, because it's not something that seems super um, major in the church, but he's, he's dealing with it. This is a very straightforward command. Do not be anxious about anything. And then he continues, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, kind of a pair there, and then with thanksgiving, kind of adds that on, let your requests be made known to God. But here's our disconnect, right? We, we're struggling with anxiety. That's the context, right? And we have to ask the question, how does this help? How do we, we get that truth here? We understand this. How do we actually apply this when we are, our minds and our hearts are so quickly hijacked by anxiety? Like these things come on quick. Our minds and emotions just get wrapped up in this, and it's hard for us to start to unwind things to actually do this work that he wants us to do. And this isn't, this isn't a simplistic command to say, hey, just stop, just stop worrying. And he doesn't say, um, do not be anxious about anything. You need to flee anxiety. Does it say that? He says, do not be anxious about anything. Um, kind of get rid of anxiety. He doesn't say that. He gives us the actual tools and resources to deal with our anxiety. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what ultimately he's talking about here, and he starts off with it, with these, this list of things, is prayer. Right? We, have to, we have to enter into prayer when we are feeling anxious. Now, when I say prayer, um, I'm, I'm using it in the most broad terms as possible. Basically, communicating with God. That's kind of the definition that I think he wants here. Because there's so much wrapped up here in praying. And it makes sense, right? Anxiety, if anything else, it focuses on ourselves. And what we don't have or what, we're fear of lo- what we fear losing. Prayer lifts our eyes up and focuses them, refocuses them on God and who he is. Brings someone else into the conversation. So for the rest of our time, really, I want to walk through a process and how we pray as it relates to anxiety when we're anxious. Okay? And the first thing I think we need to do is recognizing our anxiety and capturing it. Recognizing our anxiety and capturing it. And this includes God. We want to invite God in the process, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, right? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, right? Invite God into the process and allow the Spirit to help you um, to, to bring those things to light. It's talking and listening to God. May, it may include meditating. may include journaling. It's coming to God in a vulnerable way, being honest with him, remembering who he is as a good father, all those things we looked at last week as God is inviting us into relationship with him, especially in our anxiety. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is another, in another letter, Paul says this about our thoughts, about what we think about. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So one of the first things we have to do when we're battling anxiety is to know those thoughts, to take them captive, to, to take a snapshot of them and really understand what is actually going on. Uh, one of the best places to start is looking at our bodies. Because, again, the soul and the body are connected. They're intertwined. Right? A lot, oftentimes, anxiety will reveal in our bodies. Uh, rumination happens. Right? You start doomsday scenarios in your head that, 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 are not real, that aren't realistic. Right? Headaches. Pits in your stomach. Rise in heart rate and breathing. Irritability. 
lack of sleep, inability to concentrate, tight chest, trembling. Like I can go on and on with the list of our physical symptoms related to anxiety. And I think this gets in really the difference between fear and anxiety. There's a difference. They're, they're, not com- they're, they're, they're related, but they're not completely interchangeable. Um, a psychologist defined fear as a response to a real or immediate threat. A real or immediate threat. Fear is an emotion that God has given us, has hardwired into us to protect us and keep us safe. Our fi- this flight or fight response clicks in when we, ob- when we observe danger and God has created the body in such a way that our heart rate rises, our muscles get tight, we get ready for action. That's hardwired into how God has created us. That's a good thing, right? Anxiety, that, take for an illustration. We were recently in Montana um, on a vacation, and um, in Montana, um, obviously, when you, there's a chance, right, when you step outside of your house, cabin, tent, whatever it is, there's a chance you're going to see a grizzly bear. A chance, right? They're, they're up there, right? So imagine you step out of off the porch or you open your door and you're face to face with a grizzly bear. Now, God has hardwired us and probably 100% of us in this room, right, unless you have a lot of experience around grizzly bears, are going to freak out. Our bodies are going to go into all the flight or, spy, flight, or fight mechanisms in that moment, right? You're going to be freaked out. And what your body is trying to say is survive, survive, survive. This thing can eat you. This thing can kill you. This thing is unpredictable. It is wild. Those are all really good things. We need those things. That's fear. Anxiety, on the other hand, is an emotion like fear, like we talked about last week. Um, anxiety, though, is a, is a response to a perceived or a possible threat, right? There's something that could happen, right? So take the same scenario, right? So pretend we're in Montana, and we haven't really, we haven't seen a bear. There's been no bear sightings out there, but... We know they live around here, right? Occasionally they come into where there's people at, into homes and stuff, but not normally. That's not the normal thing. And so what, but what anxiety can do is say, well, there's going to be a bear out there. I'm not going to go outside. I'm going to worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be scared. I'm going to be fearful. I should probably stay inside the whole time because if I walk outside, I know I'm going to get eaten by a bear, even though you've never seen a bear. There's no, been no sightings in the area. You've never seen that. It hasn't happened our anxiety starts to kind of make things up. It's not even logical, right? It's not even, there's, there's, there's a very, very small chance that is going to happen, right? The, this, this sense of danger isn't concrete, right? And so we begin to kind of subjectively make up things. And, it, and here's the deal, though. Our bodies react the same way that it does to the, the, real, the real threat scenario, our, all the stuff that happens, our, our blood pressure goes up, our, or we're ready to fight and fight. And our bodies weren't made to sustain that, that, that energy, that, that environment for a very length of time. Our bodies are made to escape the fear, escape the threat, and then go back to normal. But what anxiety does, because that, those thoughts come over and over and over, they don't go away, we live in this constant state of flight, um, flight or, or fight all the time. And that is damaging over a long period of time to our bodies. This is why anxiety must be addressed, because over time it can do damage um, to our body. Now, the biblical writers use these words almost interchangeably, which makes it kind of difficult, right? When we're translating those ideas from the Hebrew or Greek into the English, the English translators just have to do the best they can on which word they're going to use, worry, fear, anxiety. 
So it's not always that, def- that exact definition, but it helps to know the difference between fear and anxiety. Um, when I was waking up in the middle of the night, I was doing what psychologists call rumination, which is a term for a mental captivity to unpleasant, seemingly unstoppable worries. Like, my mind was zero to 60, and I was going down the rabbit hole of doom, right? Of just one thing after another. It's like my mind was hijacked, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it back before it was too late. And I was always already experiencing all these bodily responses to it. Things like, um, a lot of them had to do with work. Like, what I do for a living, what I spend a lot of time doing, and that's being a pastor. Things, thoughts like, am I not being a, a good enough preacher or a good enough leader? Then if I'm not doing those things, what, what are people going to think of me? They're not going to respect me, right? They're, they're not going to respect me as a leader. If they don't respect me as a leader, why am I even doing this? Why am I even, why am I even a pastor? Why am I even a, maybe I should go look for something else. What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been doing this for so long. And then, I mean, that process happens in like three seconds. And those of you who struggle with like rumination and kind of doomsday scenario, you'll, you'll feel it, right? And you almost can't get it back before it keeps going and going and going. This is how hijacking works. So before we begin to do the deep work with God and the gospel and, the, and God's word, we need to be able to stop, to quiet ourselves, to capture our thoughts. This is why I do think medication um, is an, should be an option for everyone, potentially, right? Allows the body to stay under control in order to deal with anxiety, right? It's a body and soul thing, right? The body may need to be addressed with medicine or a psychiatrist, or a therapist. But it can never stop there. Because those things deal with the body, not necessarily the soul. Medicine doesn't cure the soul. It, cure, it allows the body to go into a normal kind of status so we can actually deal with the soul work. The soul must be addressed in all, all cases of mental illness, especially anxiety. Right? It's like if we're, we're trying to, something's wrong with our car, and we know we need to fix it, we can't work on the car while it's moving. We can't. We can't work, we probably shouldn't even work on a car while it's, it's, it's on, right? The, the engine's running. We need to find a garage, find a place to park it, to be able to take our time and meticulously deal with, diagnose and deal with the issue. So we find a garage for it, and then we actually deal with what's going on under the hood. Same thing with anxiety. Sometimes we just need to slow down so we can actually do the soul work involved. So number one is capturing our anxious thoughts. Now, the second step, after we've kind of done that, is asking why. Why am I experiencing? What's underneath the anxiety? What am I putting my trust in that is actually leading to the anxiety? And here's where we have to try our hardest to take our minds off what the external threats are that our body and our, we're responding to and what's going on inside of us. As hard as that may seem, when I'm in bed and I'm thinking about these things, I have to, I have to take my mind off of my role as a pastor, my role as a preacher, and, and really get inside of like, what is going on inside of me? Like, what am I looking to? Where are my areas of unbelief? Anxiety is most often a fear of loss of something in the future, right? We have something that we're afraid of losing, or we want something that we're never going to get, or we, know, we don't think we're going to get, and it's usually oriented into the future, Okay, so that, that idea of loss is helpful. What am I afraid of losing? What do I have that I'm holding on so tight to that it's producing anxiety? What, the, the key kind of um, characteristic of God that we need to think about in our anxiety is God's sovereignty. Do I believe that God's sovereign 
and in his providence, he can take care of me. Do we really believe that, right? Can we really take that belief and apply it to our anxiety in the moment? We said that anxiety is a warning light that tells us where the pockets of unbelief may be in our lives. And if we dig down far enough, I believe our anxiety is always going to be rooted. We may have to go down a long ways, but it's, it's rooted in some area of unbelief. It's a warning light to this area of unbelief. And we're going to put our trust in something. Right? We're gonna, when our trust or belief is aimed at something else, not God, that thing becomes an idol to us or a little God. And that's the root of the issue, right? That's the problem. We're looking to something other than God in those moments, which produces anxiety in us. Produces anxiety in us. Um, I have a kind of some list of questions here on the screen. Um, I think I put those in there. Um, that we can look at um, when we're trying to identify this, right? What do I need most? Fill in the blank. What do I want most? What do I most want to avoid? What I feel most powerless about is blank. What I'm most concerned will happen is blank. So this is doing the work of why, where is this anxiety coming from? Why is this happening? What am I putting my trust in other than God in this particular moment when anxiety strikes? Whatever that answer is, we, we capture it. We think about it. We understand it. It may be multiple reasons, and this is, not, this is not a one-time thing, right? This is a process we'll have to do over and over and over as we fight anxiety. Now, third step. So we, we identify it. We, we understand it, know ourselves. We capture it. And now, this is where we make the turn to God's word and the gospel to help us. Let's go back to Philippians 4, uh, verse 6. But in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. This is an interesting word there that we should we should think about, right? Very straightforward. That, and we may think, how does Thanksgiving relate to anxiety? One pastor I was reading this week said that um, Thanksgiving is like kryptonite to anxiety. Like it's hard. It, it kind of blunts the edge of anxiety when we're thinking about what we're thankful for. Because again, if anxiety is fear of loss, Thanksgiving is what we're thankful that we have. And so when, we, when we're thankful, it kind of blunts that a little bit. This may be mean th- keeping a, a thankfulness journal, right? It means having some consistent time every day where you just stop and you identify the things you're thankful for, right? These are things that can help us work through our anxiety. It takes the focus off us and puts it on what we've been given. This can disarm our anxiety. But the thing we should be most thankful for, if you're a follower of Jesus, is what God has done on our behalf in Jesus, The gospel is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, period. It's Jesus' work on our behalf. Good news means that when you hear news, it means it's already done. When you're hearing that news, you don't have anything to do with that news. It's something that's already been done. The gospel is literally good news. It's something that Jesus has done on behalf of sinners like you and me. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can bring to the table. It is news, and we believe it or we don't believe it. We put our faith in it or we don't put our faith in it, period. Oftentimes, we think of the gospel as Jesus has done these things. Now, the ball's in our court to do some things that kind of match what Jesus has done. Or we bring some things to the table now. We need to pay Jesus back based off of what he's done for us. And that is not true. That is not the gospel. It ceases to be good news if then the ball's put back in our court to do something about it. And this is what we need to hear when we think about our anxiety. Instead of hearing all the other voices that come into play with anxiety, 
that the, the things that I was feeling when I was that rumination. Right? Even now, I'm up here preaching, right? There's part of me, my flesh, this kind of false identity that if I, if I just gave attention to it, if I gave myself over to it and started paying attention to it, I would hear things like, um, oh, what I'm, what I'm saying right now as a preacher sounds pretty good. Well, another part is telling me, well, you probably shouldn't be up here. You're kind of a phony, right? Another part of me is telling me that I sh- I'm going over time, so I need to speak faster, and I need to hurry because I'm wasting everybody's time here, right? Another part of me is telling me I just want to go home and take a nap, right? So, like, that's my flesh. If I was to listen to that, I would get distracted, right? Luckily, I have something I'm focused on, and I'm kind of able to push through that. But this is where we need to realize, differentiate between what is the voice of God what is God saying, and what is the world, or my flesh, or Satan, or anything? What, what are those things popping into my head? And being able to differentiate between what is true and what is not true. We need to actually stop and say, that is not from God. That is not true. It's not true of me. Like my identity is not primarily in being a preacher. And if I am finding my identity in being a preacher or a pastor, that is going to be big trouble. Because I'm never, ever going to feel good enough. Ever. The only thing that I can feel confident in, in this world of my identity, is the identity that I've been given through the gospel. That God tells me I'm a son of his, and nothing that can happen in this world, or nothing that I can do, can snatch me out of his hand. That is the good news. That's what we need to be believing. That's what we need to be meditating on. So when Paul says, do not be anxious, he's saying, hey, don't let let those things come. He's saying, hey, when those things do come, don't let those things become a part of you. Don't embrace those things. Don't, be, don't, don't take on the identity as, as, uh, of one of an anxious person. We need to preach the gospel to our anxiety. And listen to verse 7. And he says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And notice what Paul doesn't say about prayer. He doesn't say, and this is important for us to hear, especially those of us who are struggling big time right now with this. He doesn't say that all, all of our requests are going to be answered in the exact, the exact way we want them to be, to be answered. He's not saying that. He doesn't say that our pain and our problems as a result of our anxiety are just going to go away. It's not what he says too. What he does say is that a loving heavenly father will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. We'll guard our hearts and our minds. I think that happens primarily through hearing his voice in the scriptures, in the gospel. And as you face and endure and battle anxiety, he is with you. And that's a promise. Paul remembers writing Philippians from a jail. And I can imagine when he uses the word guard here, he's probably actually physically looking at guards. They're actually keeping him in the prison, right? I can imagine him kind of pulling that imagery over and using that in his letter. And then maybe the most important words in this whole text are in Christ Jesus. So he starts with rejoice in four. He says, do not be anxious in six. And then he says, all of this is done in Christ Jesus through our union with Christ, through the Holy Spirit. We're in him. Because we're in him, these are promises, right? This is the plan of attack. This is how we fight our anxiety, but it is a long battle. So I want to end with this. I want to end with a practical tool that you can take with you. And I'm going to go to the screen here a lot. So this is um, called, an exercise called Fruit to Root. If you've been here for a long period of time, you've probably seen this in some environment here. Some form of this exercise is adopted by most counselors. 
And most counselors are going to be trying to get to the end of what this, this, this is doing. Now, what I want you to look at is um, there on the left, that there's, these are two trees. Uh, they're kind of very graphic-y trees, but they're trees. And those, those large circles at the top are fruit, right? On the left, it's the fruit we don't want. And on the right, it's the fruit we do want, right? So, but we start on the upper left, and anxiety is one of our examples there, right? So we have anxiety there. And we've talked about identifying it. What are we most anxious about? What are we most anxious about? Maybe, maybe parents in the room, it's, it's something involving your kids. I know a lot of my anxiety, if it's not church or my role related, it's related to my boys. Right? I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to the future for my kids. I think about it a lot. I, I ruminate over it a lot. And so maybe some of you in this room for college students, it's, it's um, how, how is this going to turn out? What are you going to do after college? What's my future look like? Some of you that are just getting into the, work, the workforce, maybe it's, I don't like this job. Do I want to do this long term? And you have anxiety over this new stage in life. So whatever it is, I want you to capture that like we've talked about, and now we kind of work down through it. So that second like little rectangle under anxiety, it says, who am I? Right? Who am I? Right? What you're believing in that moment when you're anxious, right? you're believing um, that one is, that you're in control, that you're one that has control over the situation. And we know that's not really true, but in the moment, you do think, I have control. I have, I have control, and that's why I'm worrying. Like, I, it's my job to control this, so therefore I worry about it. Um, now, as this relates to God, the third box, what has God done? In this story, in this narrative, who does this make God? What has he done? Um, well, there, there on the screen, it says, I believe that he has stopped loving me. I believe he has lost control over what's going on, um, over whatever area I'm concerned about right? If it's anxiety, then God isn't really in control. He took like a lunch break on my life, and he's gone, and it's, it's just spinning out of control, right? That's, that's what we're thinking about God potentially in these moments. Maybe you're not audibly thinking that, but this is the work that you have to do. And the last one is, who does that make God? If God is on a lunch break and he doesn't care about you, God is unloving. He's not really in control. He doesn't care about being in control. If he is, if he can't control things, right? And then the moment you start saying these things out loud, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, what am I saying? Like, I don't think these things about God. God God's in control. God is sovereign. I, I, I don't believe what I'm actually acting like, but what my anxiety is revealing is that there's some level of unbelief in God or lack of trust in God in who he actually is. And that arrow at the bottom, you get down to the root. That's why it's called fruit to root. You start getting down to the root of this is our, our, um, a lack of a healthy view of God, right? Repentance, right, what the scripture calls us to do over and over. Repentance is recognizing that and saying, wait a minute, that's not who God is. I know God to be um, a faithful father, Lord, provider of my life. He's the sovereign king over the universe. We see that Romans 8 passage. Those of us who've read Romans 8, that's who my God is. That's who I know him to be. If that's who he is, what has he done? Well, he's shown his faithfulness in providing for me up to this point. Kind of back to that thankfulness idea. He's provided over and over and over the things I, I, I need most in this life. And he's provided me salvation, which he, nobody can take away. And then, who does that make me? So who is God? What has God done? Now, who am I? Right, who am I in, as it relates to anxiety? Like, I'm a person who doesn't need to be in control. I'm like a, I'm like a three-year-old uh, son of God who God's not expecting me to be in control of anything. 
God's wanting me to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, but he's not expecting me to control what I want to control. We've been adopted into his family. We've been given access to his throne. All of these things um, are, are things that have been pl- applied to us in the gospel. And we start preaching. Again, this is preaching the gospel to ourselves. We're not listening to the voices inside of us anymore. We're actually listening to the truth. We're listening to the gospel. And then we go back up. It takes us all the way back up to the fruit we do want. Right? How do we live because of who we are now? Because we're, we're chosen, loved, adored sons and daughters. We can live with freedom. We can trust him. In the, in the worst cases of our anxiety and the worst pain, we can at least have that foundation of trusting our good Father. And we allow His Spirit to produce these things inside of us. Peace, love, joy, and hope. But this is one tool, this is a process we can use to get under the surface of that warning light that our anxiety has given us. We're, it's a lack of belief in something about God. And this is why, as a church, we think that learning about God, studying God's word, reading good books that challenge your mind about God's word, growing an understanding of who he is, knowing the gospel, not forgetting the gospel, it's because of this. It has real-world implications, because if, if you don't know who God is, then you're not going to be able to kind of take those things when you need them and apply them to your anxiety. If you, if you don't know and you haven't meditated on the fact that God loves you as a father based off of what Jesus has done, like if you haven't spent time meditating on that and reading the scriptures about that, it's going to be hard to take that and apply it when you need it most. This is why we, we're big fans of knowing God, knowing his characteristics, knowing who he is, right? Plug for the women's Bible study, right? No, going deeper into God's word to be able to, this is relevant, right? Our anxiety, it's relevant. This is why we um, want to do these things, okay? So take... Take a picture of this. I'll try to get this on the website at some point on the blog so you can have it. But this is a tool to be able to take your anxiety, what's going on underneath it, and applying the gospel to it moving forward. Let's pray. Father, I ask that um, you would help us in whatever way is best in our world, and our life. Maybe it's using this fruit-to-root tool Maybe it's using something else, but I pray that we would learn ourselves, learn what triggers our anxiety, learn our physical responses to anxiety, and I pray we'd be able to do the work and create space to think and reflect on why. What's happening here? What's happening inside of me? What am I trusting in? What am I fear of losing? What do I fear being taken away that's pushing me into an anxious state? Help us do that work and then help us take that and not leave us there, but help us apply the good news of the gospel, the promises in scripture, how you view us, how you see us, how you love us. And I pray that we would be, become proficient in applying the gospel, applying, God, applying God's word to our anxiety. Help us do, do this deep soul work. Help us. Those of us in here who maybe are so wrapped up in anxiety that we can't even get here yet, I pray that, that this would prompt them to see um, a doctor, maybe, maybe medicine, seeing a counselor, somebody to process with to get, to get unstuck. But I pray ultimately we would look to you, the healer of our souls. We can't find that healing anywhere else other than you. So help us, Lord. 
It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.